It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. My name is John Schmelk. Joined by former Giants punter and Super Bowl champion Jeff Eagles and Lance Meadow. We'll be taking your calls in about a half hour, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat. But we will also continue our look around college football at college prospects in about 10 minutes or so. We will have Bill Rabinowitz from the Dispatch talking about prospects from Ohio State. But we're going to lead off with a conversation about the guys coming out of South Carolina and joining us to talk about it from the state newspaper down there, Ben Portnoy, who covers the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Ben, you got John, Lance, and Jeff here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Hope you are well. How's everything? Everything's good. Appreciate you guys having me. This is uh, this is fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me and taking the time. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, we've been basically not by plan, but it's just so happy we've been doing all Big Ten teams this year week. So <laughs> we're we're slipping in somebody from the SEC here, uh, and I guess we got to start with Kingsley Anikbare, who uh, had a heck of a year for you guys. He's been you know pretty pretty productive as a pass rusher, six four two sixty five. Give the fans out there a thumbnail on Kingsley in terms of what NFL teams would be getting if they draft him. Yeah, Kingsley or uh, JJ, as he'll go by most of the times, so it's a fun little story. Oh, Ben, you just yeah, made Jeff Eagles here oh, so happy man, you have no idea. music to my ears. <laughs> I cannot pronounce names, for, but I would definitely go with JJ, my friend. That is good. Thank <laughs> yeah, you so it's, much. It's a, <laughs> It's a fun, quick anecdote. Is he? Uh, he was a big fan, if I remember right. He was a big fan of JJ the Jet Plane as a kid. So that's been uh, <laughs> he. That, that's that's sort of how that happened. But uh, no, JJ is a really good player. I mean, I think he's a guy that you know was kind of thought about as maybe a first round pick heading into the season. Uh, folks thought a lot of him. Uh, you know, South Carolina's obviously churned out some pretty elite defensive linemen uh, in the draft over the last sort of five, ten years. And folks kind of expected him to be that guy. Uh, the numbers weren't quite as dominant as you would expect from a guy in, in that kind of vein. Uh, I think he had brought a lot of attention on himself uh, and was a guy that saw a lot of double teams and those kinds of things, but just never quite matched the production that I think we all kind of thought. Uh, you know, that sort of led to, to the NFL Combine and, and at a pro day where you thought that he might need to test well. And, and frankly, it was a guy that you thought might test pretty decently uh, and sort of test himself in that top half of the first round, or excuse me, back half of the first round or, or, or early second round. And it just never materialized. I mean, he's not a guy that necessarily hit those marks uh, in the way that you would have hoped. The 40 times were a little slow. It just didn't quite look as, as good as you would have hoped. Uh, I think J.J. can still be a really productive player at the NFL level. I think he is a really good player. Um, I think he's just probably closer to a to a day two guy, you know, sort of middle end of second round, more early third round now at this point than than maybe a first round prospect like we thought coming into the season. Again, like I think he can be a really really good player. I just don't think that he's I, I don't think that he's quite in that top top upper echelon that that we thought he might be. And you know, obviously in a draft that's as deep as it is on on defensive linemen and defensive and and especially edge rushers, that that doesn't necessarily help his cause either. 
How uh, I know he's a big guy, so you know as far as getting to the quarterback, I see some of his statistics here as far as um, you know hurries and things like. That. It seems to me like he does around and hits on the quarterback. He gets there, but sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's quick enough. Do you think his size is he able to lose some weight and become a little bit quicker and uh, have a little bit better bend, or do you think he's just going to be that kind of a player where he's set at that level? You know how much he weighs and how he's going to play at that weight. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question, frankly, with JJ is that, you know, he's a guy that, and he even said this at Pro Day the other day, is that, you know, he's a guy that coaches see him as a, not necessarily a tweener, and that has maybe a negative connotation, but he's a guy that played sort of a pseudo outside linebacker, defensive end role at, at South Carolina, and I think can, can play some of those positions. The question would be, like, does he bulk up a little bit to play defensive end? Does he lose a little weight to, to play? Yeah a true outside linebacker what's kind of is he better in a 4-3 or a 3-4 and and how does that kind of fit I I think it's those are questions that that NFL scouts have to answer but I think that at the same time I think that you know he does have some of that versatility and that flexibility and can do some of both of those things and I think that that is what makes him an intriguing prospect uh I think that that you know in this day and age and you know, football, college football, NFL, you know, I don't care what level it is. Guys want people who can play a couple of different positions and have some versatility. And I think he fits that mold. It's just that, you know, what does an NFL team see him as? Is it an edge rusher? Is it a linebacker? And I think that that's just a decision that has to be made by, by a coaching staff as much as anything. Ben, the other thing that could separate an edge rusher from the rest of the pack is whether or not they could contribute in helping to stop the run. How did he fare with respect to that? I've seen some flashes that jump off film, and then there's other people that have been very critical saying that if he makes it to the NFL and is a consistent guy that you just mentioned, that maybe he's going to be a guy they're going to take off the field on rundown. So how would you best assess his ability to contribute in stopping the run? Yeah, I I think that I see him as a little bit more of a true pass rusher. I I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a guy that, that makes a ton of tackles in the run game. I just don't think that's how his game is suited. Uh, generally speaking, I, I think that, you know, where he makes his money, so to speak, is, is you know, as a pass rusher. And like you said, I mean, he's a disruptive guy and made a lot of plays that maybe don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet and, and gets, gets you know, into the backfield. It's just that how does, you know, is he able to finish off a few more of those sacks? And, you know, instead of having, I guess it was a half sacks this year, if he has, you know, seven and a half or eight and a half or nine, like, are we having a completely different discussion right now? And I think that's true. And obviously that's a big number jump, but you know, you know, I think that that's the question is, I I think that he's more of a true pass rusher. Like you said, I I don't know that he's necessarily a liability in the run game. I think JJ is a pretty good tackler and a pretty sure tackler. It's just that I I just, I I see him projecting more as a, as a pass rusher and, and in those kinds of situations than, you know, maybe an every down guy. Now, again, if you if you move him to linebacker, do you fit him in? Does he improve as a pass rusher as he gets into an NFL camp and that kind of thing? I mean, that's entirely possible. But I think he's he's going to make his bones as a pass rusher, and that you know the run the the run stopping side is something that I think you know you you could see develop over time. Last one on Igbare. Uh, how is he in in uh, terms of a locker room guy? What's his personality like? Is is, is he a guy that you think would? Be able to handle being in a big city like New York. Uh, is he a guy that you know is is going to be a good teammate? What can you tell us uh, about the guy that we can't see just watching the film? Yeah, JJ's a good dude. He's he's really a good guy. He's from Atlanta, so you know, <laughs> grew up in a big city, and uh, you know, from the that area, and uh, you know, is is 
sometimes quiet or quieter at, at say a podium setting, but when you get him uh, off to the side or one on one or or anything like that, he's really funny and and like really interesting, nice, thoughtful guy. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that teams would like. You know, he was a leader of this team. He was a pretty uh, you know not necessarily the most vocal guy, but what was definitely a big piece of the the older. Um, the, the older crew of guys that were on this roster this year. And I think that, you know, he's a leadership guy, um, maybe a, a little bit more lead by example than vocal, but, you know, is, is one that definitely is vocal and needs to be. And I, and I think, you know, definitely fits as a, as a nice locker room guy as well. I don't think there's any kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, red flags there. In terms of the other positions of note with respect to South Carolina, they don't have a great deal of depth, Ben, but I would say maybe some running backs that could be drafted depending on how things play out. I know a few of these guys are sort of borderline draft slash undrafted free agents, but the two guys that caught my eye were Zacondre White and Kevin Harris, two players that don't have overall great speed but maybe can find a way to carve out a role on the NFL level. What do you see in terms of their outlook and their upside? Yeah, they're, you know, honestly, those guys are both really interesting prospects from an NFL perspective because the, the reality is there's not a ton of film on either guy. I mean, Zaquandre White started it, started it, was a four-star guy, big-time recruit, started at Florida State, transferred, you know, switched to linebacker, played a lot of special teams, eventually ended up in junior college, ends up at South Carolina, but is like the second or third guy on the depth chart. And then this year has it becomes more of a featured guy, but then wasn't the featured guy the whole year, but had some really nice flashes and was the best running back in the room most of the year uh, when, when given the opportunity, but had, you know, I think a three-game stretch in the middle of the year where he didn't record a single carry. So it, it, it's, there's, it's just hard to judge. I mean, I think he's a really good athlete. He, he is a pretty speedy guy, uh, generally speaking, and, and is a pretty good pass catcher. I mean, I think he's got a skill set that translates nicely to the NFL. I think, like, what he does well, uh, are, are the kind of things that NFL teams will like. Like I said, I mean, he catches the ball pretty well out of backfield, had a handful of, uh, of receiving touchdowns this year, had, uh, if I remember right, a, a 35-yard catch and run and, and touchdown that, that pulled South Carolina right within three points at Missouri uh, late in the game that, that was a big play. And, and he can get it done on that side of the ball, just not as a carrier. And, and honestly, as much as anything, just runs angry. Like, he's a guy who's going to run downhill and, and smack you in the mouth, even for his sort of, I, I guess, leaner size, uh, considering his height. Uh, he'll smack you in the mouth, and he runs mad, and that's that's something that really sticks out with Z. And you know, on Kevin, I think he's even more of an interesting prospect, just because. I mean, in 2021, he, or excuse me, 2020. I mean, he led the SEC in rushing during the regular season. I mean, he had more rushing yards than Najee Harris and guys like that. I mean, he was the SEC's leading rusher on a South Carolina team that was not particularly good uh, in Will Muschamp last year, and you know over the off season had to deal with a back back procedure that you know as far as it's been explained to me was basically a one in a million type deal not anything like a back a spinal fusion or anything like that it was as as i understand it a, a basically a sack of fluid that had to be removed and and wasn't on his spine but was more or around it so i think that like there's probably some trepidation there at least from an injury perspective and and you know that happened in july or excuse me the surgery happened in july early august and he missed all of camp uh, you know, I was told at one point that the Kevin didn't have a, he didn't receive a carry on in contact or he didn't receive a carry in full go till the first carry he got of the East Carolina game in week two. Oh, wow. That was the first, 
that was the first time he saw contact after surgery, practice, anything. So, you know, he really took most of the year to get back right and get, uh, I don't want to say fully healthy, but fully full go uh, and fully, you know, motoring again. And, you know, you watch the bowl game. I mean, he ran every which way around North Carolina, and, and North Carolina had its own issues defensively. But, I mean, there, there's no uh, – <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to say anything but it was a really good performance when you go you know 31 carries 180 plus yards and a touchdown i mean that's that's pretty good against any power five team i don't care if it's a good team or sure. a bad team and, and especially a bowl game bowl team so i think kevin's one of those guys that you look at his 2020 tape and it's really really good and he's got you know for a guy who's 510 511 215 220 whatever pounds i mean he's a big physical guy uh even though he maybe isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily have the height. I mean, you know, he kind of reminds you of like a I don't know a Doug Martin kind of thing. I mean, he's a little bit smaller, but is really really thick, physical guy. Uh, and same kind of thing as as Quandre can smack you in the mouth a little bit, and, and frankly has better speed than I think he, you know, necessarily gets credit for. Um, and, and is a really good pass catcher. He's a guy that I think is pretty underrated on that side of his game. I think just wasn't asked to do a lot in the passing game at South Carolina, but but does have some really good hands and and some you know, capable hands that can help him at the next level. So I think he's a little bit of a question mark as much because of the injury things and, and that, you know, he had this breakout season and then 2021 was just kind of a weird year and that he just wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't totally healthy the whole way through and was working back from that to get get back to his uh, physical shape that he needed to compete. But, uh, again, I think both those guys are a little bit mysterious, but but both have a lot of upside as well. Ben, great stuff, my friend. We appreciate it. Anybody we missed that, you know, maybe is flying under the radar that we don't see from the outside, but you, you've watched and said, boy, this guy, I think he can make it even though nobody's talking about him. Yeah, honestly, the one is Jalen Foster, safety. Um, you know, Jalen's a really another kind of, I, I use the buzzword, but another interesting case. I mean, Jalen was a walk-on. He started his career at Gardner-Webb, decided to walk on at South Carolina, uh, spent three years basically as a backup and special teamer uh, and eventually turned into a starter this year and was a second team All-American, uh, you know, led the team in, in, uh, in tackles, but by a good margin uh, was tied for the national lead in interceptions at the end of the regular season uh, and was a guy who just was everywhere on the defense. And I think the thing that you run into with Jalen, kind of like you run into with Kevin Harris is that he's only got one year of film really. And I think that gives, gives, makes folks a little wary and you wonder he's a little bit undersized uh but ran a good time at pro day somewhere between sort of a four five or somewhere around a four five uh which is a pretty good time for him at, at safety like i said he's a little bit undersized but for a guy who pretty much came out of nowhere and you know coming into the preseason i think you know i and a, and a lot of other folks around the program were kind of like man if if Jalen Foster's starting to safety, South Carolina's going to have some problems. And, and he ended up being, you know, ends up being the best player on the, in the entire defense and, you know, arguably the best player on the team, uh, you know, throughout the year. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's not totally clear whether he'll be draftable or whether he's a priority undrafted free agent or that kind of thing, just given his size and that kind of thing. I think, like I said, there's a little bit of trepidation there. But, I mean, he's one of those guys that can just flat out play football. You turn on the film and, and the guy can fly around and, and, you know, he gets on the field and he knows where he's going and he, he moves with, with, uh, with authority. And I think that that's something that translates to the NFL level. And, you know, again, being a walk-on, he's got kind of that chip on his shoulder. And, and you know, honestly, is just as good a dude as you're going to get, as humble a guy as you're going to get. So I think he's the one that 
out of those sort of other guys that, that might be chasing things. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick in a training camp or find his way onto a practice squad or roster in some capacity. Ben, great stuff, my friend. We appreciate you, the time. Good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, good luck down there with uh, South Carolina. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. No problem. Ben Portnoy covers South Carolina for the state. Hey, Giant fans, don't forget, Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. We'll be taking your calls in about 20 minutes, folks. We'll open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513. But for now... And now we turn our attention to the Ohio State Buckeyes, and he's been joining us probably for five or six consecutive years now. He is Bill Rabinowitz. He covers Ohio State for the dispatch in Columbus. Bill, you got John Lance and Jeff here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Hope you are well. How's everything? Everything's good. We got snow this morning, which, you know, oh. <laughs> yeah, not, didn't stick at least, just a little bit to remind us that it's still here. Yeah, we had flurries, I think, here, what was it, Jeff, on Sunday, I think, something like yeah, that, or I try Monday. To yeah, it was <laughs> not great. Uh, but we are slowly making our way out of this, but we're still talking football, Bill, because obviously football is now a 12 month a year business, as you well know, with Ohio State, and, and we know well with the National Football League. And as always, Ohio State, I think I'm going to rename it Wide Receiver U, because you guys just continue to develop wide receivers that come into the league and play extremely well. So. Let's start with that position. Who do you like better, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson? Why don't we start there? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Do you like ice cream or cake better, right? Yeah. Um, it, you know, they're both great. And, and to say that one's better than the other, I think it's a matter of more what you need, I guess. But but th- their skill sets are fairly similar. Uh, Garrett Wilson makes more acrobatic catches than Chris Olave does. Olave's kind of a more of a smooth guy. Um, or maybe more of a deep threat, although I saw that their 40 times were almost identical. I think uh, Wilson was actually a hundredth of a second faster, but they were both under 4-4. Uh, Garrett Wilson, the thing that makes him special is he can just kind of contort his body. His body control is just as good as I've ever seen, and I covered the NFL for 12 years. Um, he's only six feet, so he's not a big, big guy, but he plays much bigger because of that. If there's a 50-50 ball, chances are he's going to get it. And he's got the speed, he's got the elusiveness, uh, he's got good hands. I mean, he'll have the occasional drop, um, but generally he's got very reliable hands. Uh, you know, I, I think he'll be a star. And, and I really, I, I say the same thing about Olave. He's probably not as elusive in terms of his moves after the catch. Uh, probably could get a little stronger, but such a smooth route runner. Uh, just, you know, more of a quiet guy than Garrett Wilson. Um but, again, any team that gets either one of them will be happy. Bill, in terms of where they could very well go, because, I mean, every year we have this conversation about there's a lot of depth at wide receiver. Maybe you don't have to necessarily use a top 10 pick or whatever it may be on a wide receiver. You could patiently wait. I'm curious what you've been hearing, given their versatility, given their star potential. Do you anticipate them going relatively high in the first round? Do you think teams will wait? What would be your best projection at this point? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the middle of spring football, so I've not spent a lot of time since the combine, at least, kind of studying that stuff. But there's a lot of speculation that the Browns at 13 might have gone for Garrett Wilson. Obviously, the trade with Deshaun Watson, you know, they lose that pick. So uh, what I'm 
what I'm seeing in mock drafts is that Garrett Wilson is probably going to go higher, as high as top 10, uh, whereas Olave is kind of a mid to later first round pick, depending on need. But, um, you know, I think those will be the only Ohio State first round draft picks. And I'd be very surprised. I mean, I think Wilson is an absolute lock to go in the top half of the first round. And I would be very, very surprised if Olave doesn't go in the first round. Uh, Bill, once again, thank you for joining us today. Um, both these guys, obviously, I don't think you're going to be able to. You're going to go wrong, just no matter where you're picking in the draft. Um, uh, just a question on Garrett Wilson. Um, I noticed that he has the ability to break a lot of tackles when watching him. Um, give me a little bit about his strength in that aspect and and getting off um, press coverage. Is it something that he's got to work on, or do you think as he got a little bit older and and got a little bit more polished, he was able to do that a little bit better? Because I know that when you once you get yeah. up in the National Football League, that becomes an issue. Yeah, I, I think it's an issue for both of them just because, as you said, NFL cornerbacks are bigger, stronger, you know, faster than what they've seen in college. Most of the times, uh, those guys could just rely on their athletic ability and, and be able to get off the line and all that stuff against college players. Um, I think Garrett Wilson's probably just a little bit stronger than Olave in that area. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's that's an area that, that I think almost every receiver, especially one who's not like 6'2 and 210 pounds, kind of has to, to deal with. Um, you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they're not the biggest guys in the world. Uh, their size is fine, but sure. it's they're not, you know, that's not the kind of receiver. They're not a Terrell Owens kind of, kind of frame. So, um, uh, yeah, it's an issue, but I don't think it's going to be a, a concern. The one thing I want to ask you about in, in, in terms of Garrett Wilson, and this, this will be the last one on him, um, I, I have trouble finding a weakness, Bill. Like I've watched all his catches. You know, he's only six foot one ninety, yet he makes contested catches. Right? Mm-hmm. You talked about his yeah. ability to to break tackles. I think he's a really nuanced route runner. He's very deceptive at the, at, at the top of his routes. If you know, you mentioned Olave, maybe not you know super strong after the catch, things like that. If if you were to nitpick Garrett Wilson, is there anything that you would be worried about with him going to the next level? Not really. I mean, he had a couple drops. Um, you know, not that you would call his hands an issue because they're not. He has very good hands. I mean, I, I remember the first time I saw him play, it was actually a high school Texas uh, state championship game because Ohio State was in the Cotton Bowl that year, and Ohio State had recruited their quarterback and ended up getting hurt on the first play of the game. But Garrett Wilson made a catch. He was a junior then. The sideline catch, just acrobatic. And I remember thinking, oh, that's what the hype's about. Because it just was, it was an NFL catch from a high school junior. And so he makes those so routinely that you just get spoiled watching him. Um, and then when he drops one, which you know all receivers do, it's it's especially glaring. You think, okay, how can a guy who can make those acrobatic catches look routine ever drop a, a routine pass? And but it happens. Um, but I would not say that he's got an issue with his hands. I mean, it's just you know all receivers drop the ball occasionally. I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball, but move towards the offensive line, Bill. And they have two offensive linemen, but I think the guy that probably has been receiving more attention is Nicholas Petit Frere, who seemed to get a starting job in 2020 and has been pretty consistent, especially in terms of the amount of pressures that he's given up on total pass attempts. They have him estimated at 0.5%, which is pretty impressive, and he's played both tackle positions. Where do you see his best fit at the next level, on the left side, the right side, or potentially somebody that they can maybe move inside. I think he's a, I think he's a left tackle. I think that's he could play right tackle, but uh, I think he's probably better suited to the left side. He's more of an athletic guy than he is a strength guy. 
uh, I thought he was, for most of last year, their most underrated player. Uh, uh, obviously, C.J. Stroud got a lot of attention, and the receivers got a lot of attention. Travion Henderson got a lot of attention. I thought Nick Petit-Ferreira played uh, just so well for almost the entire year. The, the one exception, and this goes for pretty much the whole team, was the Michigan <laughs> game. I mean, it was just a bad day. It was a bad day in Ann Arbor. And uh, Aiden Hutchinson and, and the Michigan Wolverines had their way with, with uh, Petit Frere and, and basically all the Buckeyes. And, you know, how much does that – is it? can you chalk it up to being a bad day? Can you chalk it up to, well, maybe that's the best competition they faced and that's a sign of a potential issue when, it gets to, when they get to the NFL? You know, I, I'm not going to judge that. I just know that that was not a good day for anybody. Uh, but I don't, also don't think that one – bad day should erase all the other stuff that he did and he was really really good uh, that was his last game as a buck i did not play in the rose bowl um so that was kind of the last impression but but he had he had really a, a phenomenal year uh until that game um when i look at this guy i mean physically he looks like he could rip your head off in a second i mean just uh uh, an intimidating man, and I'm just curious about his strength, um, how he moves guys. I know just watching him and reading a little bit more about him, I think one of the things that people think he has to do better is using his hands. And for a guy that size, I would imagine that's something that he can learn at the next level. Tell me a little bit about how he has just dominated physically and some of the things that you think he, he's going to need to work on once he gets to the next level, Bill. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just experience. Uh, you know, he's a big guy. He's got a you know, good frame. It, it's funny. He was the highest rated player in this recruiting class, but he didn't see the field for a while because he had to gain weight. And it was, it was almost comical, the, the diet they had him on to try to get his weight up. And finally, he finally did. So he played later than most people thought he would. But then when he, you know, was deemed ready physically, he, he was really good. Uh, you know, he's, he's, like I said, he's more athletic than just kind of brute strong. But he's strong enough. But but I don't I think that's kind of the mold he's he's in. Uh, he's a really intelligent guy, uh, just just a thoughtful guy. I mean, he's one of my you know guys when you talk to him is okay. You know you learn something when you talk to him because he's he's just very smart. Um, at the combine, I, I even told him this. I said I don't I don't know that I've in 20 years of covering the combine had a player be as expansive about every question that he got oh, wow. uh, <laughs> as as. Nick was, and so you know, writers will like him, reporters will like him because he'll give thoughtful answers, and he's a smart guy, uh, very friendly guy, um, and so yeah, there's a there's a lot to like about him. Okay, Bill, I'll stick on the offensive line. Let's go to Thayer Munford and poor Thayer. After they had to move Petit Friere to right tackle in that Michigan game, he got stuck out there in Aiden Hutchinson a few times, and and that didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, one play did not go well. One play did not. Yeah, that went viral. No yeah. question. Um, you know, but he was their starting left tackle for a couple of years. Then they moved him into guard. Um, why the move? I, I guess would be my first question. Um, and then, do you see him as more of a guard when he gets to the NFL level? Yeah. Well, I think the, the move actually says a lot about Thayer Munford because he was a three-year starting tackle, a left tackle, uh, All Big Ten player, and left tackles don't like the move, right? I mean, no, of course not. Marquee position on the line. He volunteered to move. It was his idea because Dewan Jones, who had been a project as a 6'8", 360-pound former basketball player, had really developed. And Thayer Munford said, you know, we got to get this guy in the field. And 
Dewan Jones' natural position is right tackle, and that meant Petit Frere moved to left tackle. Okay, where you know, and Thayer, Thayer, Thayer for decided he was probably the guy to move inside, so he volunteered to go from left tackle to left guard. I, I can't even think of another left tackle that would do that or that would volunteer to do that. You know, instead of being asked to do that. So I, I think he's more of a natural tackle. Uh, certainly in college, you know, the NFL, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've been gone from the game for about 15 years, so I don't really know what, what the prototype is right now. Um, I, he certainly has the versatility to play either. I mean, he, so, you know, I think he had a really good year. I, I think that probably wasn't quite to the standard that he wanted. And a lot of it's, you know, there's an adjustment to playing guard. It's sure. a different position. And so he had some, some ups and downs a little bit, but I think overall played very well. And, again, the fact that he volunteered to move inside tells you a lot about his character. Bill, when it comes to Thayer Munford, a lot of people point to his height and his size, which could be a positive, could be a negative, depending on where your position in the NFL. And they say that, you know, that's a reason why maybe he could have problems on the outside. He's more suitable to the inside and has to deal with a smaller space. From your time covering him, how much do you think his height could be an issue, or is that overblown in your estimation? Well, I mean, I, I just remember when I did cover the NFL, there were lots of body types that had success. There were the, the big guys that you worried about the quickness, and there were the smaller guys you worried about the strength. And to me, the guys who were committed to, to overcome their deficiencies or work around them were the ones who had success. And, and I think Thayer Munford being, is being a really hard worker, uh, a very dedicated guy will do everything in his power to, to you know, uh, kind of cover up his deficiencies and accentuate his, his strengths. So um, is he a prototype for either position? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not saying that to be glib. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I've, you know, getting covered the NFL for a while. Um, but I think he's the, the kind of guy you want on your team, especially, you know, I do know that linemen have to be versatile to, to say I'm only a guard or I'm only this or that. That can be a problem, and and you can say to Thayer Munford, we need you to play one of four spots on the line, and he can do it. Uh, Bill, real quickly to stay on the offense, and then we'll move to the defense. I, I uh, Jeremy Ruckert, a guy from he's from Lindhurst, New York, so uh, from a right. Long Island, a uh, guy that you know the Giants, in my opinion, were, are going to be in the market for a tight end. Um, I'm looking at some of his stats from the 2020 season to the 2021 season. Obviously, he doubled everything, and one of the things that I've I'm, I've noticed in here that he played a lot more in the slot uh, last year than he did the years before. One, why why was that? Was it was it because of the offense on uh, what the types of um, you know plays they were running, and also he just looks like a guy that can just move people. A big, you know, thick, just a really good looking guy, and I think that he, you know he would be something that maybe the Giants at maybe the fourth round somewhere around in there. So give me a little bit of your your idea of Jeremy Ruckert and where he would fit in. More importantly, why, why yeah. was he playing so much in that slot last year? Well, two years ago, they also had Luke Farrell uh, as a tight end, and, and Ruckert and Farrell uh, really shared the position, and last year was really just Ruckert. And so he was the only reliable tight end they had. And, you know, the funny thing is Ohio State is notorious for not throwing to the tight end. If he had gone to a different school, he could have had 60, 70 catches. He's, you know, he's good enough to do that. It's just at Ohio State, that's just, they, they just, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got the receivers you do, when you've got the running backs you do, that's who you give the ball to most of the time. 
Uh, sure. And I thought it was always interesting that Rucker, whenever he would ask about that, he would always say, I came to Ohio State to become a well-rounded tight end. I, I knew I could have gone anywhere and been essentially a receiving tight end, but I came to Ohio State to become a blocking tight end as well. And he did. He, his blocking improved immensely. And if you think about a tight end's job, most of the time it is as a blocker. I mean, if he's targeted five times a game, that's that's you know pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to run block a lot more than that. And he really did improve the run blocker. I think he's pretty reliable with that now. Uh, I, I think if he had gone to a different school and, and, again, been targeted more in the passing game, you'd be talking about him as a second- or third-round pick probably. So I think whoever gets him, if it is the fourth round, is, is getting a pretty good bargain. Hey, Bill, how about the two defensive linemen? You have um, Tyreek Smith, uh, the pass rusher. And then you have uh, Haskell Garrett, the defensive tackle. I was, I was pretty impressed with both guys when I saw him at the Senior Bowl. Um, what do they bring to the table, and what do NFL teams, you know, have on their plate if they decide to draft those guys in the mid or late rounds? Yeah, uh, Haskell Garrett's really a miracle. I mean, you probably know that he, he was shot in the face um, before the 2021 season. He was uh, walking down the street, and he saw this altercation between a, a man and a woman and tried to be a maker and and got shot um and it was very very lucky that, that it only did the damage it did and he was able to surprisingly we couldn't believe when they said he's going to play in the opener but a month later like you gotta be kidding and he played great he had a really really good 2021 season or 2020 season and then last year he just had to fight through some injuries and just wasn't quite as effective but assuming he's healthy which i think he is I think he's, you know, you get him in the late round, I think you're going to be real happy with him because he could be very disruptive. Uh, he, he really blossomed as a team leader. He's, uh, I think he's got a chance to be a, a pretty good pro. You know, Tyreek Smith is a guy, great get-off, very quick. Uh, the run game's a bit of an issue. You know, how good is, could he be against the run? Um, but he was one of these guys that always seemed to be like a split second away from getting the sack would be disruptive, but just couldn't quite get there in time, or the quarterback would step on the, up at the pocket. It was just kind of like bad luck, it seems. Um, you know, I, I think as a, as a later-round pick, he, he certainly has potential. Uh, Ohio State had a guy last year, Jonathan Cooper, who was even more of a tweener than, than Tyree Smith was, and ended up going in the seventh round to Denver and had a really good rookie year. I could see kind of the same kind of trajectory or, or first-year from Tyreek Smith, uh, really kind of an infectious personality, always an upbeat guy, always a pleasure to talk to, uh, comes from a really good family. And, you know, as, a, as you said, a later round pick, uh, I think that's, that's a pretty good gamble to take. As a quick follow-up about Haskell Garrett, I was watching some cut-ups of him, and he had a heck of a deflection to himself for a pick six. I don't yeah. know if you remember yeah. right <laughs> against Michigan State. Yeah, that jumps out to me, you know, when you get the big boys in the trenches, they're known, obviously, for their tackling and their sacks. How much potential does he have to do plays like that at the next level? And it's not just about him eating up space on the interior. Yeah, he recovered a a fumble for a touchdown against Minnesota, I'm pretty sure. All these games blur together. But, yeah, he's an athletic guy, uh, no question. Um, Very disruptive. Uh, No, that's kind of what Haskell Garrett did. You know, he's a guy early in his career, just, just a guy. You know, just one of those guys in the rotation. And then it's funny, you know, getting shot, I, you know, I hate to say this almost, but it, it really was such a turning point for him that made him realize how, how fragile everything could be. And he was like a different player uh, you know, in 2020 
And then again, the injuries kind of limited him to some degree last year. Ohio State, like most teams, is pretty guarded about the injury, so we didn't really know what it was, but he was in and out, and just not quite as effective. But I think it was because he was hurt, not because you know he's not good enough. And so um, if he had been able to play, take the what I thought would be the natural progression for 2020, I would have thought he would have been a first, second, or third-round pick, honestly. So I, I think that uh, assuming he's healthy, he could be a steal. Do you have anything else, Jeff, or you're good? No, I'm all good. Thank you. All right, Bill, before we wrap, i got to ask you this. How the heck did you guys let Jameson Williams walk out of that campus? <laughs> well, have you seen Garrett Wilson? Yes, that's a fair <laughs> point. Have you seen Good Jackson answer. Smith and Jigba? I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, when he finally kind of got the starring role in the Rose Bowl, you know, had 350 receiving yards. Uh, look, they would have loved for, for Jameson Williams to, to stay. But Jameson Williams looked at the depth chart and said, you know, I think I'll go to a, an inferior uh, wide receiver school, Alabama. <laughs> 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 you know? And also because James, the Jameson Williams we saw last year in Alabama was not what we saw at Ohio State. We saw little glimpses of it. But, again, when you have the receivers that Ohio State has had, you can get buried awfully quick. I mean, this year sure. they're going to have, you know, uh, uh, Marvin Harris Jr., who was starting debut at three touchdown catches in the Rose Bowl, and Mecca Buka. They've got Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver in the 2019 uh, recruiting class. I mean, Ohio State, like you said, it really has become you know, uh, you know, wide receiver few. And so Brian Hartline, former NFL receiver, has got it rolling. Um, and he took over from Zach Smith after that debacle. And that's one of the great hires in, in you know, Ohio State assistant coach history because uh, he's got it rolling. No, absolutely. And let me tell you, when these Ohio State guys come into the league, and it's not like there's a lot of other programs, these guys know how to play wide receiver, run the route tree, do those sorts of things that allow them to impact the game quickly. So it's, it really is impressive. Bill, great stuff. Anything else? I, I, I know you've had a book out there for a few years or anything. Anything else you want to promote and uh, let the folks know about before we say goodbye? Well, not really. The books, I appreciate the books. They're, you know, like. I don't even know how old they are, eight, year old, eight years old now, seven years old. So, yeah, if anyone wants to read about the 2014 championship season, it's called the chase. <laughs> <laughs> Go check it out. Bill, awesome stuff, my friend. We really appreciate it every year you joining us to talk of some Ohio State football, and we'll talk to you next year. All right, my man? Thanks, Bill. Always a pleasure. Thank Thanks. you, Bill. That's Bill Rabinowitz. Does a great job. Again, covers Ohio State for the dispatch in Columbus. All right, folks, we'll take your calls the rest of the way for the next 22 minutes or so at 201-939-4513. Get on the phones. We'll get you right up. And, guys, it's just kind of a continuation here for Ohio State with these wide receivers. It's a factory down there. And I and he mentioned, I mentioned it, you know, Brian Hartline, just does a fantastic job getting those guys ready. He had a you know nice little NFL career, Brian Hartline. Yeah, I remember him. And you know he was never the fastest guy or anything, but he knew how to play the position. He's kind of taken that craft, and now is training the best athletes in the world that show up to Ohio State the craft of playing wide receiver. And that's how you get this endless flow of yeah. just top notch players. You look at you look at some of these guys, and it's like you know on on how they're rating. Good pass route runner. Good route runner. All of them. All of them, right? Yeah. So that comes from that. And I think that's important because when you when you elevate to the next level, that's important to when you get into a training camp or you get into mini camps and there's an evaluation that goes into it, immediately they want to have somebody that is running good routes so the quarterback knows and can depend on that guy to be where he's going to be. Well, and when you can learn from somebody that's been there, done that, and has gone through it, 
and he understands what it takes to make the transition from college to the pros. I think that's extremely beneficial. I would, though, expand it and take it a step further. I just think the wide receiver position in general oh, yeah, for sure. is one across college football where we just see a relatively smooth transition. I think part of it is you have a lot of college teams running pro-style offenses. Yep. So wide receivers, it's not a rude awakening for them. Well, Lance, I think it's also NFL teams starting to run more college-style sure. yeah. offenses, too. Yep. I think it goes both ways, absolutely. And I think that if you are in a system where they demand good route running, they preach it, they teach it on a daily basis, especially when you have a former wide receiver, then you know, okay, you go to the NFL, listen, if you want to get a head start, if you want to make quite the statement in training camp, you better continue what you started on the collegiate level, as well as understanding the importance of building chemistry with the quarterback. So I think that's why we're seeing an awful lot of wide receivers. And we've talked about this on the show. You can find guys in the second round, third round, and then all of a sudden, wow, lights out in their first year in the NFL. And I think part of that, once again, is because wide receivers, for the most part, are well-prepared to all of a sudden make the jump to the NFL. Also, you know, in, in I'm going kind of back to in high school, they have all these seven-on-seven seven leagues. You no, know, Jeff, you're 100% right. You know what I mean? Right, and so 100%. these guys are running routes yep. at, like, in sophomores in high school. Well, and, like, all summer. Like, this is, like, you know, this is in addition to what they do in their regular football season. 100%. So. Yeah, and so now that carries over to high, to college and then all of, obviously into the pros. So they're, they're real school. Just like anything else, there's, there's all these showcases. There's all these even kicking camps. I mean, the punting and kicking has come such a long ways because these guys are going to all these showcase yeah. camps in high school. You wonder at some point, and I had this conversation with, with scouts over when I was in the combine, when are some of these guys going to realize that wide receivers become almost too competitive now? And these guys are like, well, you know what? I might have an easier time going to make money playing cornerback. Yeah. Trying to cover these guys because there just aren't as many cornerbacks as there are wide receivers and they're just more in demand. Well, well Trayvon I mean, Diggs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, you also look at these guys. If they keep dropping passes, then ultimately they become defensive backs. <laughs> <laughs> By default yeah. is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Out of curiosity, who do you guys like the most in this wide receiver class? Because I think you can make a case for Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams. I mean, there's a bunch of guys in this class. If Even, you guys had your choice of the litter, who would be your first wide receiver taken in this draft class? Mine would be Drake London. Why? The height. I, I, I like the, just a big physical. Reminds me of Mike Evans. Um, and then the other guy from uh, South Dakota, what's his, the, um, is it the white receiver from North Dakota State, South Dakota State? Of oh, Christian Watson you're Christian, talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. A, he, I, I like him a lot. I, even though I know he played in, you know, in that type of a league, but I still think he's got some intangibles that are going to be very good. How about you, Lance? Well, it's hard to go beyond Jameis Williams because, I mean, look at what, Alabama has produced. I mean, well, sure, it's sure. a factory. It's just as much as a factory as Ohio State. So you can't go wrong with respect to that. And I like both Ohio State guys. I know we just mm -hmm. spoke with Bill. I really think there's appeal for both of them. Olave. I mean, I remember going back to that Oregon game, which I covered earlier this season. And he had a really strong performance in that game, and you weren't really talking much about Garrett Wilson. So I think they get into a good environment with a good quarterback. I think either one of them yeah. is going to be in a situation where they're going to thrive. But I just think there's something about Jamison Williams that stands out. Good coaching at Alabama. He's got the frame to, I think, to make quite the statement year one. So, I mean, if I had to choose one, I would go with Jamison Williams. Yeah, look, Lance, I'm with you. I think he's the guy that looks different when you watch a game. Like, it, when you're in the SEC – 
and you literally make everyone else on the field look yeah. slow in every game. Yep. Like, there's no one that is like close to him athletically. And all in those any guys, of those look games. how much they wait to get on the field. I mean, there's, it's a factory down there. I mean, Jamison Williams is a machine. He's unbelievable. Now, he might not be ready to go until October, maybe November, coming off the ACL injury, obviously. Well, but you saw tapes of him working out the other day. He looks pretty good. <laughs> he did. But if you're a team, and he probably is not going to be the first wide receiver off the board because, because of the injury, right? Yeah. But if you're sitting there at, like, 20, and he's on the board, and you're like, well, I think this guy can be, you know, a number one, it's going to be hard to say no to that. It really is, to be yeah. honest with you, because you know ACLs now, guys come back from that. It's not, it's and not it, like a thing it's that's not as gonna, detrimental as it used to be. It isn't something you know. Yeah. There'll be a temporary and uh, you know, you know, uh, step back maybe, but this is not a career derail one year. type of thing. And one year yes. in the NFL goes by pretty quickly. When yes. you talk about, like you, you mentioned, this is a year-round business now for everyone. And I feel like just because you lose a guy, and, and I'm not saying you're going to lose him for the season, but you're going to if you do draft him at that number, John, and you're going to take a you know take a risk a little bit. But I, I think the I think it you know the advantages in my opinion here outweigh the risk because I feel like he's going to be that type of player that will just be really good for you. And it's just a year. Give him a year, and we know about ACLs, and everybody's different. Guys recover differently. And Jeff, one guy you take a look at, watch because you you. you you like the bigger guys? Go watch George Pickens from Georgia, especially his freshman tape before he got hurt. Yeah. See, I like the bigger guys. Just 6'3", because... 195. And again. Give him a watch. I think you'll like You know, him. years ago, the bigger guys, like the Keyshawn Johnsons and the Terrell Owens, you know, those big receivers. Well, there Jones, Calvin Johnson, There was not very many of those no, guys. correct. And they were just kind of elite athletes at that size. I feel like now you're getting these elite guys at 6'4", that can play like those guys that never were like six footers that were just their agility and their leaping ability and things like that. So to me, because this is such a red zone league and scoring, I, I like the big receivers. Oh yeah, there is an endless stream though of those six foot, one hundred ninety five pound receivers. There, there are a dime it's a dozen. Endless. It's endless, and you can find those throughout the draft, like we talk about. Correct. Um, and again, I still think you can still find some you know big thoroughbred guys that I would call them in the lower rounds, but. I, you know, they're not, they're still, they could pan out. You never know with that position. You just never know. Separation to me is still the biggest deal though. I get contested catches. It's important. I will always take the guy yeah. that consistently gets open versus the guy that's good at the contested catches. Yeah. Cause I mean, Lance, when you, you know, we're up in a booth and we're watching the game and we're sitting there, we're watching these guys and like, we always say to ourselves, where is the separation? How come none of these guys can get open? Right? I mean, so I agree with you. Um, but, you know, big guys usually are strong, and then they can use their hands and get away from separation, but some guys can't. Those guys get open in different ways. They do. Yeah. They use their body. They use it. Yeah. Almost like a basketball player to get, you know, they, mm -hmm. they separate a certain way. But that requires a specific skill from the quarterback, too, willing to make those throws when Take there the isn't chances. obvious. Yeah. Correct. Well, that's right. When there's not obvious separation, you have to be willing to throw yeah. that into coverage and trust your guy to make the play. Yeah, and some teams throw that back shoulder. Some teams teach it. Some teams don't. Well, some quarterbacks can't throw it. Right, yeah. You would think it would be an easy throw. You know, me. it's funny. Like, for example, <laughs> I'm going to give you a perfect example. We know Eli Manning was good at the back shoulder. He threw it to Akeem Nix and Plaxico Burris all the time. Yeah. He could never get on the same page. As good as him and Odell were together, and obviously just look at their numbers together, it was off the charts great, and their yeah. chemistry it was fantastic. They could never get on the same page on the back shoulder throw.
It was just one of those things where they can never get the timing right. And do you think it's because maybe Odell didn't like it? I don't know. I have yeah. no idea why, but it's something they can never quite figure out. Well, he certainly has a different framework, to your point, Jeff, yep. in terms of his body build. So it, it could have been yeah. something to that degree that the comfort level in comparison to Knicks and Burris was just not there. That's why, I mean, going back to John's point, I think the old cliche, the more you can do, the more secure you feel in taking that player, as opposed to, you know, yeah. you could find a six six guy that could be a red zone threat. Fantastic. What are you going to do for me in the middle of the field if I want to utilize you more than just five plays per game. Ramsey's Baden. Yeah, well, that's why I would always lean towards the guy that can get separation, can do a little bit more in terms of the route tree as opposed to just being this tower in the back of the end zone. Because then I think you also become a little bit more predictable as a player. Was Barden a five-time preseason All-Pro? I think he was. Remember, he he tore it up. In preseason. The only guy that was a better preseason player, well, there were three. You would Ramsey's Barden, uh, and it wasn't James Lance. Uh, what was the Washington? The first name. His last name was Washington. He caught all those deep passes from I think it was Corey. Either, Corey Washington. Yeah, Corey Thank Washington. you, Corey yeah. Washington. He was another one. Then you go back further. This is when you were on the team. Sonoris Moss was the most <laughs> unstoppable yeah. training camp. Oh yeah, pre and more training camp than preseason games. Yeah, he could not be covered. Like when I talk about creating separation right, in right, training right. camp. No one could cover Sonoris Moss. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get into games and then he's going to get smacked around. Mm-hmm. Not so easy. Well, but let's he... not forget the Ramsey's-Barton Super Bowl was that Thursday night game against the <laughs> Carolina Panthers. <laughs> That's right. And that will always have a warm place in everyone's heart <sighs> recalling what Ramsey's-Barton did carving up that Carolina secondary. Talk about nine lives, right? Well, Lance, <laughs> you just can't teach height. No, you cannot. No. September 20th, 2012, by the way. Look I want all of our listeners to remember that date. Hakeem Nix was out with a foot injury, and Ramsey's Barden put together nine catches for 138 yards. The one and only true number 13 in Giants history, of course. There you go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Nobody tops the charts no. beyond that. Wow. Yes. At least not on this show. No. At least not on this show. Obviously, guys, we're, we're poking fun here. Um, we all know Odell was... The, you know, a wonderful player. Uh, He'll still take a backseat, though. Yeah, well, on so, this show, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Ramses will always be number one. All right. <laughs> Don't miss your chance to experience a pure hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next year on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Or up first, I should say. Scott, what's up? Hi, Scott. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Great. Good. Uh, Jeff, I wanted to let you know that I have personally taken upon myself to get you into the Hall of Fame. So, Oh, well, that's I'm, coming from you. That's good at work. I know yep, you're diligent and, at what you do. So now you have Scott and Charlie process. on I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I've started it. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, hey, it's more than it's own, that's, that's a start. That's good. Keep it up. Okay. Keep it up. Let me know uh, when you when you start getting some traction on that, and then maybe I'll uh, jump actually, in. I've gotten some traction already. So, okay. but I'm not going to tell you what it is until. How many signatures developed. are on the petition, Scott? That's what we want to know. <laughs> okay. How many people uh, have you kidnapped to try to make this happen? <laughs> well, my dad my dad lives in Phoenix, so that's close to New Mexico, so he can go sign it. <laughs> All right. So there's at least one signature then. Yes. That's yeah. right. How many people are in so, Scott's basement right now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's right next to the train track. That's so, right. Uh, <laughs> also, no. No wonder nobody could hear their yells. Yes. <laughs> now it all makes sense. Yes. 
Anyways, uh, you guys are sort of answering some of the things that I have in mind where, you know, no matter who you pick in the draft, it's a crapshoot no matter what. So I like some of the picks that have been suggested, and uh, I think there's some players that obviously Joe Shane got that will work into the lineup. But my question is is this, and I don't know if it's a question actually you can answer, Jeff. Um, with Saquon Barkley, uh, and I'm talking about him specifically, is there undue pressure on a player who knows that he's been talked about to be traded or he's had a career which didn't materialize, hopefully, the way he thought it was going to, and he knows this is the year, uh, a la Daniel Jones knows this is his year. They read the papers. They know this. Sure. Is there an undue amount of pressure? Because I assume you've played with yeah. players and other teams. And does that affect the way you play, or do they take a different attitude and say, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can do to stay on this team. I, I wonder if it's the individual or the, the amount of pressure that you put on somebody can affect the way they actually play the game. And, Jeff, by the way, throw in the fact that it's his contract year, too. And, and throw in right. the fact that both of them are coming off of injuries, you know, I mean, in a sense. So that puts a little bit more pressure on them. But I feel like, you know, Saquon is still a year. Rem I mean, he's going to be a year ahead of that, but – no, I think there's a lot of pressure on them, and I think that they they put a lot of you put a lot of pressure on yourself because I, I think both of them want to be here, but they really are you know the team is going to evaluate them to a point where they're they're gonna you know they're either not or obvious captain obvious here either going to be here or not. But I it I think what you'd have to do as a player um, is just you know go out there and. Just prepare and do the things that you have to do and don't try to change things to make yourself try to look better. In other words, right. I'm saying just kind of stick with the things that you got you here, okay? And just and you have confidence. That's the biggest thing. If you have confidence in yourself, then you can go out and do things, and I think it'll be fine. I, what happens is when people try to put too much pressure on themselves, then they start to change things. And I think more so in a quarterback than a running back, there's not a whole lot of things you can change as a running back. You get the ball and you go. Right. Quarterbacks. I mean, you can start forcing throws. You can start trying to do things differently. And I think that's where you get in trouble. OK. Uh, one question just for clarification uh, on this minicamp. They said that Daniel Jones can is ready to go, according to Gable. Does that mean he's able to throw or he's not able to throw or the rules say you can't do that? And I was just curious if anybody knows uh, what actually will transpire when they have this initial mini camp that they're going to have. Well, I, I, I thought it was content, I, right? I, at the yeah. veteran mini camp, it's basically like your mini camp in June. So there's, right. there, so there, there's no contact, but okay. they'll be on the field throwing and all yeah. that stuff. But that's like the exception in the off-season program. So uh, they will not be able to start doing that again until you get to OTAs, which, which don't come into effect uh, until May. Oh, May? Uh, May, and then you have OTAs May into June, then June you have the minicamp. Right. So uh, at the minicamp, yes, you should be on the field throwing, and, and he should be fine. And again, people worry about the contact. Well, there's no contact in the offseason program of until training yeah. camp. Right. So okay. there's plenty of time for that. Yeah, that's why it was worded. If you remember when the Giants released that statement about Daniel Jones, they said that he couldn't take part in contact, but we know that there's no contact, as John mentioned, in the offseason. So the real big major question is once training camp starts, no what can Daniel either. Jones do? <laughs> I, I think that's the date to circle okay. yep. because he's not really going to be tested regardless of what they ask him to do between now and the start of camp. Okay. My, my last question is this. Uh, obviously, I don't want to see James Bradbury go. I understand the ramifications of not having enough money to, for the cap. 
are there any other ways the Giants can keep Bradbury, move some dollars around that would be safe for them to do, and then at least have a, a semblance of a starting backfield? Because can you define safe for me, Scott? <laughs> uh, well, you'll have a Dory Jackson. You'll have Darnay Holmes. You have Bradbury. Uh, you have uh, the other guy. Uh, what's his name? Robinson. Sure. Robinson. Aaron Robinson. Aaron Robinson, and you you have the nucleus for for having a good secondary. I'm not saying a great secondary. Oh no, no but Scott, a good I understand secondary. what you're saying, but you said, is there anything else you could do contractually that's safe? So my question is, what do you consider safe in terms of redoing other guys? Because you'd have to redo contracts, yeah. right? That's what. That's basically what I'm going to have to. Right, right, well, 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 right, is right, that but, a reality? Is what I really. Well, I mean, look, really you you, you can choose and do whatever you want. But then and you're going what, here. But but that but that's what they did last year. That that's what Shane doesn't want to do. Remember, right? he doesn't want to push to kick the can. Correct. Down Look, the, you can renegotiate. You can you know turn a bunch of Leonard Williams' base salary into signing bonus. You can turn a bunch mm-hmm. of you know Kenny Galladay base salary into signing. Add a bonus. year to his contract. You can, yeah. yeah, you can yep. you can put a, a, a void year at the end. You yep. can do the same thing for Dory Jackson. But then. You know, all the all, th- all three of those players next year, based on their contract structure, you can get out of their contracts if you want, okay? Next okay. year. But, but if you renegotiate one of them this year, then all of a sudden next year, you you're not going to save a lot of money if you want to get out of those contracts. So that's the uh, piper you're going to have to pay if you decide to make a move on one of those three big money contracts. Because really, those are the only three big money contracts you got, right? That's okay. kind of That's pretty much all that's left. And, and I'll end this way. Do you th- what do you think? What do you guys think about keeping Bradbury? And I'll be glad to take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks again. Thank you, Scott. Look, Bradbury has one year left on his contract. I like James Bradbury. I think he will help the team win more games this year. He's a good guy. He's a good player. I just think that it's the best, most realistic option on the table to clear that amount of money. I don't want to push that money down the road for those other guys. And like I said, I am willing to sacrifice elements of this season to help myself in the future. So that's why I think eventually, whether it's in a trade, and I, I still think they'll get something for him. Before My or guess, after? After the draft. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think think it, come after, yeah. I think a team's going to be like, we're going to get a cornerback in the draft, and then they don't. And then they're going to be like, all right, let's go trade okay. for James Bradbury. Yep, 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 yep. And by the way, the Giants might, you know, they might surprise some people and take Sauce Gardner at five, and then you kind of know there's something in the work. Well, right, that's the other thing yeah. too, right? Softens the blow, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lance, to your point, you feel more comfortable moving him once you get another guy in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why a lot of these veterans who are sort of in that gray area, we're going to know a lot more once the draft finishes up because we're in April now. We're in the month of the draft. If you're a team and you figure you have a chance to grab a quarterback or a corner I would take my chances in the draft before I'd make a move at this point in giving up resources. Then if all fails in the draft, you don't get who you wanted to target, then you can explore the trade market. So I think there's a lot of guys that are going to fall under that category. But, I mean, the Giants also, they need to, with respect to Bradbury, I would have a big conversation with Martindale. Oh, and I would to. say, yeah. what do you envision being able to do if James Bradbury is not here? Do you think you can run what you want to run? If we get this guy in the draft, does that make it okay? That's the guy that I want to talk to, okay? I need to have a heart-to-heart with Martindale. If Martindale gives me the green light that I could financially part ways with Bradbury and I'm still going to be able to run what I want to, 
then I'm all for the move. If Martindale looks at you in the eye, he has a conversation with Joe Shane and Brian Dable, and he says, guys, we part ways with Bradbury. I don't know if we're going to be able to do A, B, C, and D. Then I would have some major second thoughts about that. No, look, I think you make a really good point. And, okay, again, it's not a move you want to make. It's just a move you have to make. But to your so. point, John, if, if what if you're, if you're uh, Joe Shane and Dable and you look at them and say, you look at Martindale and go, uh, unfortunately... You know, we're this is we have to do this. Wink, you got to figure it out. Bro. You're gonna have yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> well, and you may present yeah. it that way, Tim. Yeah, right. and he yeah. has no choice. Correct. Uh, yeah. I just chuckled when you said I, I want to have a meeting with with Wink. I just was just picturing you sitting in his office across from his desk having this conversation with him, Lance. That's what, that's why I got a chuckle. That's out what of that. you were yeah, picturing. Because, remember, guys. Yeah. Remember this too, and I think this is important for fans to think about it this way too. You know, Bradbury's on a one year contract. Yeah. Right now. So it's not like you're trading a guy that you would have had under control for no, three course. or four more years. Sure. So it's just yeah. a one-year sacrifice. Uh, and if you like him that much, and he's a free agent next offseason, go sign him again. You know, you mm-hmm. could you could do whatever you want. Yeah, and, this, and 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 clearly the Giants are not getting rid rid of Bradbury because they don't think he can play. This oh is, no, because if, if they didn't think he could play, he'd be gone, gone. already. Yeah, yeah correct, hundred percent. So I mean, that's just unfortunately it's the financing part of it, and it's the nature of the beast. This team is was in cap trouble, and this is the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, of trying yeah, to, to go through it. It's not well, like and the guys, last piece. Well, I think yeah. it's, it's going to have to be a little more than that, too, to be honest with you. Well, the, I think it's the one that's looking you in the face. Right, but my, my point, but though— that and, may not be the last piece. Right, yeah. because my point is that, look, they need $12.5 million for the draft class. Mm-hmm. Bradbury saved you just that amount. Then you still need money to make moves during the season, right? That, right? Remember, remember so, Gettleman said you need like twenty million or whatever. Yeah, I think that I think I think that's a little strong. <laughs> well, if injuries happen, you need to protect yourself. Correct. Look yeah. at what happened last season. So, How many guys they had to continuously bring right. in? So you got to yeah. have a handful. You know, five million, three to five million to to work with during the year to yeah. kind of make those moves. So well, which where means, are you finding that? Yeah, which means Bradbury alone doesn't get the job done. Correct. Is what you're saying? Yes. But here's yeah. the thing. To Jeff's point. That means that based on the fact that they haven't made that move yet, perhaps a big part of the dialogue, guys, that took place over the last few weeks is let's see how the draft plays out. We have a few corners we're targeting. If we could grab them, we feel better about parting ways with Bradbury. If they don't get those corners, maybe it changes the conversation. There's more of a reason to hold on to Bradbury. But based on what we're just discussing, the fact that that domino hasn't fallen yet and they're still waiting leads me to believe that the draft – is something to monitor for them before they ultimately decide what they want to do with him. There is no better way to send Lance into the weekend than to chat with Charlie in Portland, Maine. Hi, Charlie. What else is new? (laughs) (laughs) See, you bring up his name and he decides to call in. It's like... Hey guys. Synonymous with he's like, he's, he's like a, a little guppy. Now, right? in fairness, he, he was he was on the line before I mentioned his name to Scott. Really? Okay. All right. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. He was. All right. Hi, Charlie. Hey, look, guys. I, I saw How many people do you have in Twitter. your basement, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's an answer we want to know. That's a fair point. Yeah. We could be accessories. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The authorities will be interviewing look, us. <laughs> that's right. You're going to be part of the mystery here. Hey, look, I saw on Twitter that uh, Brian wants to use uh, Barkley more in the passing game as a wide receiver than a running back. So this is... Frank Gifford 2.0. I think Barkley could end up being a wide receiver, save his body, you know, save some of the, the tough injuries from running the ball. And Brian loves the passing game. I think this, I think Barkley could have a big year if they utilize him. They said 15 to 25 snaps 
uh, you know, at a wide receiver slot or whatever. You know, so I think that is a great idea, very smart, and I I hope they actually do it. Hey, so, if you want to use him like like the Panthers used Christian McCaffrey a couple years ago, where he's getting ten to twelve to fifteen touches as a running back, and then like five to ten touches as a receiver, I have no problem with that. I think that's fine. No, McCaffrey still took his fair share of hits though and got hurt. So. No, sure he did, absolutely. You know, hey, yeah. No, I don't. I want Barkley to take five to six snaps at running back, and I want him to be a wide receiver. No, no, no I said That's touches. I, I said to touches, do. Charlie. Touches. Oh, touches. Okay. Touches. Hey, and the other thing about Bradbury, I mean, extend him one year. What's the big deal? Just extend him one year, cut down on the salary, give him a big signing bonus, and uh, – you know, go from there. Well, um, that would that would be pushing know, money into future years, though, Charlie. And Bradbury yeah, would have well, to. And Bradbury would have to agree to that. Yeah, and also, you know, he did that with Gano, if you guys remember. Yeah, but he, that, uh, but that, but yeah, but that's a much smaller yeah, number. The, yeah, there's not a two in front of those numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, yes. Hey, look. Those are seven-digit oh numbers, not not eight-digit <laughs> yeah, numbers. Exactly. Correct. Yes. Look, this. I just this breaking news. I can't believe it. Two-time Super Bowl champion Will Beatty has re-signed with the New York Giants. Yeah, this is April. Is Ed Charlie? Johnson. I was waiting no, for that. Wow. No. Johnson. Johnson says this is incredible. I can't believe it. Shane Johnson. says I can't believe oh, you got Johnson. the deal done. You wrote and the press Brian, release. I see. Yeah. Yeah, and Brian says we're a step closer to the playoffs and Super Bowl. There you go. It's it's yeah. a shame it didn't get through the email part of the process. <laughs> that it's it's still on your computer screen, you know? Real real shame. And I don't think it's April Fools that John's gonna hang up on you now either. <laughs> Bye Charlie. Well, there's reality to that. That's yes. real, that Charlie. Is, yeah. yeah, that, that is real. That is actually happening. Have it's, a good one, Charlie. Have a good weekend, buddy. When you hear that dial tone, you know it's reality. Yeah. Here's the drop Get up and get out of here. <laughs> I just wonder if he, while he was on hold for that whole time to come up with that stupid thing. Yeah. With, with oh, he was planning it for like three days. Oh, my God. Sure. He yes. told me he had it ready. I thought it was going to be the Barkley wide receiver thing. Oh, yeah. goodness. Okay. Well, with the Barkley wide receiver thing, Barkley did have 91 yeah. catches Rookie in year, yeah. 2018. Now, most, so now, most of those yeah. were catching it from out of the backfield, though, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, to me, that's still utilizing a guy as a receiver. Sure. sure I mean, sure. I'm not, I'm not envisioning what Charlie's thinking that Barkley would be lining up in the slot every single down. <laughs> I mean, I, I could see using him ten to fifteen times, and especially Shepard if he's not back to start the well, year, right? If you want to use him Kadarius in there as a buffer from that I mean, standpoint, get okay. him in there, line yeah. up somewhere. Kadarius Tony's got to play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he would take spots in the slot. Too. And I also think he would take spots. He's going to take s- snaps in the backfield. Here's how I kind of envision it, Lance. How about this? What if you take, like, the way the Niners use Debo Samuel, but, like, reverse it, right? Where Debo lines up as a wide receiver, what, like 80% of the time, but he gets, like, 20% of his snaps at running back? Sure. So for Saquon, you kind of flip it, right? You get the 75% of the snaps at running back, and you get, like, 25% of the snaps actually lined up, like, in the slot or at wide. I could see something like that. Yeah. I had no problem with that. Run yeah. some screen passes for him and so forth, you know, to get because him Because remember, yeah. the other side of that is that if that does happen, you have to prepare for it. Well, remember, by the way, it's not like they haven't done that before either. Like, the play he got hurt on last year, yeah, he, was, yeah. he was lined up as a wide receiver, right. and then he yep. stepped on the dude's foot. Yeah. 
That's why I'm saying I don't think you're protecting him, John. I mean, you pretty much spelled out what I was getting at. Yes. Because you brought up Christian McCaffrey. I'm not saying it was a bad example, but McCaffrey has also been a jack-of-all-trades, and Christian, unfortunately, can't stay healthy. But you're not putting this guy in bubble wrap. They're going to tackle him. What do you think? Opponents are going to say, oh, Saquon's a wide receiver. We got to (laughs) take a few feet back here. We got to be careful. They're still going to tackle him and hit him. Well, I mean, Sidney with Alvin Kamara, right? Like, he gets spread out wide all the time, and he's had injury issues each of the last two years. Yeah, I don't see how that preserves the health of an individual. If anything, I just think Dable is trying to find ways to maximize the usage of him to help the offense. That's how I would envision that. But to me, Brian's not saying to himself, if I line him up more at wide receiver, we're going to preserve him, and he's going to wind up playing 15 to 16 games more so than 10. Lance, you have in front of you how many games Barkley played last year? Barkley last season played 13. He played 13. Okay, that's actually more than I thought. So he lined up as either a wide receiver or a slot player 60 times last year. So that's about five times a game, give or take. That was last year. Um, That was probably the most he was used percentage-wise as a receiver in his time with the Giants, and that was last year with Jason Garrett. His first year, he was only lined up 46 times as a receiver. Uh, His second year, it was 39 times. His third year, and that was the year he lost to injury, uh, it was, you know, actually, how about that? That's interesting. In in that year in 2020, um, he had 55 snaps lined up in the backfield, and he actually had 15 lined up as a receiver. So that was actually the Mm -hmm. highest percentage of his snaps that he was lined up as a receiver. And again, last year, uh, he had 457 snaps in the backfield, and he had 60 lined up uh, as either a out wide receiver or in the slot. And remember, just because he's lined up out there doesn't mean he's getting the football. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's a determinant. Well, well, well yeah, that's why when Charlie asked about it, I talked about touches, right? Right, right. Like, yeah. if, if he can get 10 to 15 touches as a running back, but then get five, I mean, five. Remember, if you catch five passes a game, that's 85 receptions. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a lot of receptions, yeah. right? Yeah, and then three he to gets, five. And then he gets, like, three to six, yeah. four to six. Yeah. Catches the game as as as, as a the receiver, you know. Yeah. Depend on depends on what the quarterback sees. I mean, he he may not be the number one guy getting the ball. He checks to him and boom. Yeah. So a lot of variables that go into it. But I agree with when you look at uh, at least this is what I'm seeing: Katerius Tony, a healthy Katerius Tony, a healthy Galladay, and a healthy Saquon in your passing game, and with an improved offensive line. Then now we got a little bit of juice yeah, on that offense. He might be able to swap Tony and Barkley with roles too, right? Sure. You know, who knows? Maybe one play, Barkley's in the slot and Tony's in the backfield. You could do all well, sorts Maybe of stuff. Tony gets to carry the football three times in the backfield, three or four times from not, the running back position. I would not be surprised by that at you all. You know, because in, 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 uh, if you look at Brian Dable and um, Mike Kafka, they're going to come up with a select amount of plays that are just designed for him to get the ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would make sure Tyreek Hill gets the ball yep. on those type of plays yep. all the time. Yep. In it's Kansas City. It's actually a little bit exciting to see when you start to think about this offense. <laughs> now, as long as they block well enough so yeah. the players are successful. Well, I, I then. think they're trying to make a, a step in the right direction. Is you know, they they got their hands tied. You know, again, we talk about how free agency was very limited because of the money. Well, and that's yeah. the other part, too, right? You talk about Barkley last year using him as a receiver. Well, then you don't have a running back back there pass protecting. Mm-hmm. Not that Barkley was a yeah. great pass protector, but still, that, that again, that exposes your offensive line, right? You're it's sacrificing all, that, yeah. it, It's all interconnected. It is. It is. It's all connected. 100%. Guys, good show. Good stuff, Sounds people. Good. Happy yeah, April absolutely. Fool's Day. 
We are inside four weeks of the NFL draft. Woo. We're getting there. We'll continue to get you ready right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Lance Meadow, for Jeff Eagles, I'm John Schmelk. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you Monday at noon for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live.